Hello and welcome to episode 286 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. Hey. I'm very good, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, look, I'm not too bad, mate. It's it's been a uh, it's been a casual sort of week, hasn't it? Not much has happened. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see some footy being played. Finally. Oh, that's right. The footy was on. Yeah, I saw that. You know, the other thing I saw, I saw a fantastic offer that was that was there by Manscape.com. Right now, mm-hmm. if you go to Manscape.com and you put in our exclusive code, which is NRL, you get twenty percent off and free shipping of all of your personal grooming products. We always highly recommend the Lawnmower 3.0 because of its versatility as a tool to keep your genitals smooth. It's got a fantastic ceramic blade that keeps its sharpness no matter how many hedges it needs to cut. It uh, has a light so you can, you know, shave your balls in the dark. It's waterproof so you can shave your balls in the dark in the shower. And then it's also got... Or in a pool. In a pool, yep. A yeah. dark pool. You could shave your balls at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Who wouldn't? I'd love to. That'd be the dream, hey? But You'd be do it on the floor of the Pacific Ocean. It'd be amazing. You could, you know what, if they'd have had the Lawnmower 3.0 on the Titanic, instead of playing violins and stuff as it went down, they could have been shaving their balls. Yeah, and you know what? Even with the ship just breaking apart and fucking collapsing and all over, going all over the fucking shop... You still won't nick your nads. Exactly. But enough of that terrible maritime tragedy. Manscaped.com is a fantastic service, and they will get your products to you 20% off and free shipping, but you've got to use that code NRL. They also come with a 30-day money-back guarantee, but you won't need it. All you will do is go back and buy more things they've got, um, the perfect package is what we recommend because you get everything in that. So go to manscaped.com, put in our code, which is NRL, 20% off, free shipping. We give that to you as our loyal listeners. That's right. We look after you. We really now, <clears throat> now uh, yeah, it's it's been a good week in, in uh, the world of rugby league because the NRL's finally got started. Should we thank Peter Volandis for getting the season underway as it normally would? I would seems- really... I would love to thank you to Peter Volandis. Uh, I can't seems, remember what was going on before him, hey? It seems like the going thing. I don't think we even had rugby league before he came along. I know, right? Hey, can I ask you a question? Mm. Why are you so obsessed with Moses and Bai, dude? Like, all <laughs> you do is obsess about Moses and Bai. Yeah, yeah. I. Um, it's a good question. It's a good question. Why do you blame him for everything, Andrew? Because shit. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. I see your point. <laughs> I, I, I just like to point out facts. Yes. And some people get really emotional when you point out facts, or if you just have an opinion. Yeah, people don't like opinions these days. Yeah, huh? they get really emotional. Like, when we're just talking about footy, like, yeah, seriously, settle the fuck down. Mm, mm. Like, as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, like, if you're a footy fan and you're talking to another footy fan, you're going to have like so many things in common with them more more in common with them than you will most other people but footy fans get so angry with other footy fans yeah and um look one thing that a lot of footy fans need to realize is that i don't genuinely have an opinion on many things Mm -hmm. what i typically have 
is facts on everything. Yes. I don't sit there and, and waste people's time with bullshit opinions all the time. Sometimes I do it just for a bit of a laugh. Mm-hmm. But typically, I just tell you facts. So if you come across something I've said and you don't like it, it just means you're wrong. <laughs> I understand that. I get that completely. Yeah. Let's be honest. I am a officially recognized rugby league expert. It's not me saying that. The actual governing body of the the game globally said that. So, you know, mm. I'm just running with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you've just got to let people know you're the authority in the game. Exactly. Like, it's all right for them to to feel like you might be wrong, but you're not. Yeah, that's right. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah. The thing I, I really like is, like, you know, I'm watching the West Tigers play. What we should do, let's go through the games and then get to the West Tigers. Because I yeah. know we've, we've both got a lot to say about the West Tigers. That's so right. Let's it's, it's, it. a, it's in the last day of 40 you know what? We can just leave that carrot for the end. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Give something to work towards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the footy season started off on Thursday. We had the Storm beat South 26-18. And uh, from what I did see, the opening 40 minutes by Melbourne was possibly the best 40 minutes of football by any team I've seen all weekend. Mm-hmm. They were methodical, um, stingy as hell in defence. Um, and Cameron who? Yeah. <laughs> Harry who as well? Yeah, Harry um, who. But um, the back end of the first half, and we're talking about the last 20 minutes, mm-hmm. last 20 minutes? Actually, a bit more than that. When Benji Marshall came on the field, and this is not me just being a fanboy talking about Benji Marshall, but it's pretty clear to see that once Benji came onto the field, South's attack changed yeah, and yeah. improved, and they put on a few tries, and all of a sudden... Melbourne went from cruising, I think they were up 20, was it 18-0 or 22-2 to two or something like that at one stage? Mm. And then all of a sudden, South got back in and they're, you know, almost a try, within a try of Melbourne. Um, yeah, but really it, got... it, it never really felt like the Storm were going to lose the game. No. But it, it did, I think it would have been something that Bellamy would have been unhappy about and that Bennett would have been like... You know, that's something to look towards for their next matchup. Yeah. It was pretty much the, I don't know, almost worry that they may not be able to close out games as easily as they used to under Cameron Smith. Mm. Um, they still closed this one out and won by eight points. I think, especially given the quality of the opposition, I don't think it's too much of a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, next They've got a pretty tough run opening up, though. I mean, they've got Parramatta next week at Bankwest. Then they've got Penrith at Penrith the week after that. So I think if there is an issue with them closing out games, we're going to find out about it in the next two weeks anyway. Yeah, true. And I like... But, the, I mean, the way they come out of the gates, they just looked unbelievable. Oh. And uh, it, at one point, it looked like they were just going to thrash Souths. Like, Souths couldn't stop them at all. Yeah. And so the Rabbitohs did pretty well to to sort of halt that steamroller that was happening to them. Um, but they really, I mean, the storm switched off in that second half. It felt like they did what they had to do. I mean, you do have to remember that they've got that injury to um, to your boy, Harry. So yeah. they're, they're a little bit undermanned, but 
damn, they still look like the best team this weekend. They really do. Um, Jerome Hughes is looking pretty good too. Yeah, he was. He was, uh, yeah, you know, and, and Cameron Munster, I mean, in that first half, they couldn't stop him. He looked he absolutely him. on fire. Yeah. Uh, Papanazzo too had a, had a great game. Mm. Um, yeah. And the other, other thing to come out of this is the Storm unleashed another rookie in Tyson Smoothie. I just wanted to raise the name, that's all. Great name. Yeah, fantastic name. Um, shout out to manscaped.com. Bloody oath. That's a good one. <laughs> um, I don't think South looked that bad. I think they were caught off guard by how good Melbourne were in the first half. Yeah. And given Melbourne dominated possession and field position, um, they tried 22-6 at half time. Probably lucky. Well, not so much lucky. Um, their defence was able to make sure that that scoreline wasn't worse. Because I think if that had been a worse team, that scoreline could have been horrendous at halftime. It really could have been. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the South attack in probably the first, I would say, 50 minutes of this match, they were going side to side. They weren't mm. going up the middle of the field at all. And, it, you know, that, the Storm will just shut you down all day doing that. That's when right. They, when they straighten their attack up a little bit, and Benji had a lot to do with that, um, they looked way, way better. And it's one of the interesting things about these rule changes that we've seen, and they're only subtle, subtle rule changes. They're subtle rule changes. But... <laughs> we should be trying to use that word a bit more often. I know, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> There are only subtle rule changes, but, you know, if you get on a roll, you can start putting it on a team, especially later on in the match. Um, so that's why I was still impressed with the fact that the Storm, you know, they didn't have a great second half, but they did still control the game. And, and as I said, it didn't feel like at any stage they were about to lose it. Um, and I think both teams will have got something out of it and both teams will have found something that they can really work on during the season. So um, a pretty good first-up game. And it was really interesting to watch, too. Yeah, it really was. Um, the next game, so Friday, we had uh, the Knights. Uh, they beat the Bulldogs 32-16. to um, They pretty much just ran away with this in the second half because there was only eight points in at halftime. Uh, Daniel Saifidi scored two tries. Yeah, and I look, I didn't see the first half of this match, unfortunately. I saw the second half, and yeah, the Knights were in total control from, from the match that I saw. I, I saw that Bulldogs fans were blowing up about the decisions in this match, but, you know, when you lose by that much, it's hard to really be upset yeah. at the uh, the officials in any game, you know? Exactly. Um, it was, the, look, the Bulldogs have a really hard run coming up. And it's going to be interesting to see how Trent Barrett and the Bulldogs in general handle it. Because, you know, if they, and I, I brought this up on Twitter, if they get off to a really bad start this season, even if it's just on paper, even if it's like they lose their first four games or their first six games or whatever, how do they handle that as a club? And has Trent Barrett learnt enough as a coach to be able to handle that sort of start? And, we, you know, we might not find out, but we could. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I think I think he's assembled a, a reasonably good side on paper. Mm -hmm. 
the problem he's got is most of his attention has been focused on the backs. Yeah. Um, and the one thing he's lost out of all of this is that stingy Bulldogs defense of the last few years. Yeah, and look, they're playing a Knights team without Ponga. And, yeah. you know, that's a real concern. And the Knights, I mean, they ended up winning this one pretty easy in front of a really good crowd up there in Newcastle, which was cool to see. Um, but the Bulldogs were never going to turn this around in one off-season. Like, this is a... We, and we've talked about this. This is like a two- or three-year rebuild. And this is the first year of really that happening. So... You know, Bulldogs fans, I think, need to be realistic and be ready for, you know, and it sucks because they've been bad for a number of years, but they need to be ready to have a season that isn't great. Yeah, I think one thing that's going to be a a bit of a weak spot for them this year is going to be the transition of Nick Kotrick from full-time winger to full-time centre. He's played a little bit of centre before, not much and not enough to be a full-time centre straight away. So this is going to be something that's going to need work. Um, and he's going to have DWZ outside him, it appears, for most of the year. So we may find that DWZ doesn't get many um, opportunities or, or good ball because of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Um, completely different halves pairing for this game to what they've ever had before because they've got a rookie in, well, both were rookies in Avarillo and Flanagan there. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, the forward pack looks very thin. Yeah, yeah. And look, when when you look at the Knights forward pack, their forward pack is great. And Saifidi was fantastic in this game. So, you know, just that alone. I mean, as you said, the Knights had, had a few players out. They had an injury to Bradman Best, which is a real concern because he can't stay on the field. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the Bulldogs just couldn't match it with the Knights up there in Newcastle. And, you know, I mean, the Knights the Knights aren't a team that I think is going to set the world on fire. They're just a, a really good, solid team. And I think if you go into a game and you're not at your best, they, they're going to be able to beat you. Yes. But there's plenty of teams that, if they're at their best, should be thinking, well, we've got we've got more talent than the Knights, especially when they don't have Ponga. Like, Ponga's an X factor, and they didn't have that in this game, and they still managed to put on 32 points. Um, And it's, yeah, look, it's a step for the Bulldogs. I think the good thing for the Bulldogs that we saw as the round went on was that, yeah, it was a disappointing game, but you didn't watch them and think, man, they're terrible. No, that's right. Um it's going to be interesting to see how both sides unfold as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. Okay, next match, a game of two halves. Yeah. Parramatta beat Brisbane 24-16. Yeah, in this match, Brisbane led 16-0 at half-time, and then Parramatta scored 24 points unanswered in the second half to win the match. It was a really interesting match. They look, they look way better, the Broncos, than they did last year. Um their defense is way, way better. I know they gave up 24 points in the second half, but I think I, I don't, I can't put that on the Broncos forward pack. I think the Broncos forwards played really well. Um, I think where they were let down was in the halves. Um, you know, Croft disappeared in the second half. There were things that he should have been doing in the second half 
that he just wasn't there to be seen. And Milford, who was fantastic in the first half, started pushing the ball too much. And I think that that comes from, you know, when your halfback disappears and yeah. all of a sudden it's up to him to be the playmaker and kicker and everything. It's just too much for him to to handle, really. And it's too much for most halves to handle. And he started pushing silly passes and doing silly things in his own half. And it kind of compounded any mistakes that they made. And it let the Eels get back into the match. And the Eels are too good of a team to allow, you know, that by anyone, let alone the Broncos. But the, the Broncos did look much better than they did last year. Yeah, it was interesting to see, actually, because they had no Payne Haas and no David Fafita yet. Their forwards didn't look like they were struggling that much. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the problem they're going to have this year is the fact that they, at best, they're going to have three playmakers, and that's going to be the halves and the hooker, because Asako's at fullback. He's not a playmaker. He's a a kick returner. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty handy at that, too. He's good, good running style and everything. Um, but yeah, you, you're not going to be able to have him t- able to chime in and help take some of the pressure off if the halves are struggling. It just means more pressure on one of the other playmakers, and that's a problem. It's and it's not a problem that Parramatta has because they've basically got a yeah. five eight at fullback. They've basically got a half eight, a halfback at five eight, mm-hmm. and then you've got Moses, whatever he is, mm-hmm. and um, you got Remoni at, at hooker. Yeah, and he was fantastic in the second oh, half was. too. And, like, it just showed the difference between these two teams in that you look at the Broncos, the the hooker, you know, you're not getting much out of the hooker. You're not really getting much out of your halves in the second half especially. And as you say, at fullback, you've got a ball runner. And that was the difference at the end. And it was unfortunate for the Broncos, but that's where they find themselves as a club right now. They've got to really get those positions sorted out. But... I was really impressed what Kevin Walters had done in terms of turning around what was a very lazy team that was completely disinterested, especially in the forwards, and they were up for this contest. And they really, I mean, they made Paramount have to play this game to get back into it. So, like, there are signs there for the Broncos, and I don't, you know, Walters will be upset that they lost the game, but I think he'll be pleased with the performance they put in. Yeah, he's got two things he needs to focus on this year, and and they could just be the only two things he focuses on. One is he needs to make them competitive every week. Mm-hmm. Second one is he needs to try and settle a lineup and not have too many changes because last year was horrendous in both aspects. And I think if he can sort those two out, success won't come too far behind it. Um, the other thing that was odd about this game is I thought Mitch Moses would have taken the opportunity against you know, last year's wooden spooners, to run the ball a bit. Mm-hmm. And he was sideways as hell. Yeah, it was it was disappointing. Um, you know, and they, they're going to have to improve. Like, Parramatta, their goals are so different from the Broncos. I mean, Parramatta really should be looking at being one of the top four sides at least this year. And they should be aiming for the premiership. And, you know, to come out and they, they played poorly in the first half, and a lot of that had to do with the opposition, didn't let them play well. Mm. But, you know, they should really be putting a team like the Broncos away pretty comfortably. And they shouldn't be worrying about, you know, is the halfback going to run sideways or is he going to take on the line? Especially when he's the sort of halfback that Moses is, where, like, if he's not taken on the line in attack, 
he's he's kind of not doing anything for them. Yeah, and look, he's one of the when when he's a ball running halfback, he's one of the best in the game. Mm-hmm. But when he's not running the ball, he's pedestrian. And yeah. I can't believe that he doesn't get pulled up on it more often by you know, if not his teammates, his coach. Yeah, they're just allowed to happen. I think. You look at you look at last year when when Moses runs the ball a lot more, Parramatta score a shit ton of points, and when he's sideways as hell, they struggle. Yeah, and I, like I feel like if he had a more experienced hooker, he would probably have that where he'd say they'd just be saying to him, "Look, run the ball more," you know. And it's weird that he's not getting that direction out of his teammates as much, but he's, a lot of his key teammates are younger than he is and nowhere near as experienced. Mm. So, I mean, that's a problem for them, um, you know, and, and their season really rides on him doing that, running the ball more. So it's they've got a whole season to work on it. So, you know, at least they got away with a win, but they should be able to sit down in the team meeting on Monday and say, look, this isn't how we want to be playing because Moses needs to be running that ball straight. That sideways stuff is not going to cut it against the top teams. That's exactly right. Um, move on to Saturday's games here. And the first one was a bit, I think I'd probably put this down as the, the upset of the round because the Warriors beat the Titans 19 to six. Yeah. And... I didn't, I didn't get to see this game, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I didn't get, I didn't get to either. Um, <clears throat> but I think given all of the hype that the Titans had with all their signings and um, a lot of the big-name changes they made and the way they ended last season, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would have thought that the Titans would have won this game, not convincingly, but comfortably enough. Uh, and for the Warriors to come out and, and win this as commandingly as they did and off the back of very, very good defence... Um, I think it surprised a lot of a lot of people. Be interesting to see if they can keep that form up, because this is the thing: is we don't know where where the Titans are at at the moment. Yeah, you know, like are they a really good opponent, or are they still like a bottom four opponent? We don't know. And same goes for the Warriors. Yeah, and like I tuned in. I think I caught the last five minutes of this game. When I saw the scoreline, I was really shocked, and I saw a number of people saying like this would have been one of the Titans' worst losses last year, which says a lot because they did have some bad performances last year, early on especially. Um, It's good for the Warriors, you know, to get a first-up win, two points on the board. It's going to be a super long season for them. And, you know, they're going to have so many things that are going to happen to them. I'm guessing that they're going to have players that will go home once again partway through the season. I'm guessing that they're going to have to loan players from other clubs as the season goes on again. So it was good to see them get a first up win and something they could celebrate because last year really started off as a horror show for them and they kind of had to work their way into it being something semi-positive. So at least this way, it's it's a bit of a turnaround early on. I know that um, uh, Harris Tavita, uh, he played really well. Uh, so that was good to hear. And Nick Arima apparently was pretty good in this game too. Yeah, Nick Arima was pretty good. Um, I suppose that's the other thing too with the Titans. They've had so many personnel changes. It could take them a few weeks to finally, you know, 
click and hit their groove and start start playing with a bit of uh, quality to their game. So, um, be interesting to see how long that takes. Yeah, and that, like, man, they would have been banking on these two points. Like that, yeah. They'll be really disappointed with that performance. Be interesting because they've got the Broncos next week. They've got the Cowboys the week after that. And then they've got Canberra on the Sunshine Coast. So they've got... They're pretty much staying in Queensland a fair bit for the first month or first yeah, four you, games. You would, you would think that they would be thinking they can win at least two of them games pretty comfortably. Like I, I feel as though they would they would want to be better than the Broncos and look, anyone's going to beat the Cowboys at the moment. Yes. Yes. Now, we'll get on to Cowboys in a sec. The uh, next game was the Roosters versus Manly. And uh, the Roosters took about 17 minutes to, you know, find their feet and get into this game. Mm -hmm. Then after that, it was a train wreck for Manly. Uh, Roosters won 46 to 4. Worth noting that they missed uh, two, three, four goals. So it could have been 54 to 4 if they had got them all. And it deserved to be that scoreline because Manly were atrocious. They really were. And, like, as I, I. As I was watching this game, I thought to myself, and I posted on Twitter, I was like, you would take the West Tigers recruitment over the last two years over the Manly Seagulls. And when you look at both teams, like the Tigers and the Seagulls, it's stark. Like, their recruitment has been abysmal, and it really showed in this game. Um, I felt very sorry for the Seagulls because they just were not in the same realm as the Roosters. And I think the Roosters did it pretty easy. Like, I don't think oh, they yeah. got out of first gear. They, they waltzed through this. Yeah, Manly's actually got four former West Tigers players in their side for this game. There you go. There's <laughs> Moses Sully, who we barely saw. Josh Alloy, who I remember him making a hit-up. Um, Martin Tapau, he's been pretty solid for him ever, ever since he's been there. And Curtis Sirenen. Yeah. Um, he's always been a bit rocks and diamonds. But yeah, when you when I saw that you made that tweet, I went, "Hang on, they have recruited quite a few of the poor Tigers players." And that's well, you think about it. Fitting. They they got players that the Tigers let go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um, Tedesco was unbelievably good in this game. Every time he got near the ball, uh, Manly's defense shit itself. Mm-hmm. That's basically what happened. He scored three tries. He had a hand in several others. Um. Yeah, he was just unbelievable. Brett Morris bagged three tries, uh, and two of them were ones he had to do a fair bit of work on. His brother picked up one. Like yeah. it, it was. It they was had one or canter. one or two denied as well. Yeah, um, just unbelievable. Manly's only try came in, I think, about the eighth minute or something like that, and it was a pretty, pretty decent sort of play, which Kieran Foran played a big role in, and it led to a try in the corner for Ruben Garrick, but that was it. They didn't look like they were going to threaten to score a try at all for the rest of the game. Um, and to think that this Roosters team did it with Jake Friend copping a, a, a head knock. Yeah, and it was one of those, like, bump mm. head knocks. It's not and a... there was talk immediately after the game that he's, he's going to have a long think about whether he should call it quits or not. Yeah. Um, I think he should retire. He's he's another one. Those players. He's got nothing to prove. 
nah, he's done everything he needs to do. Mm. Um, the only problem they're going to have, I guess, is whether they've got a hooker to replace him. Because they're still waiting on Sam Verrills, who I think maybe fit within a week or two. And Victor Radley is due to come back soon as well. But I'm not too sure if they're both ready yet. And Adam Kieran, who they got over from the Warriors, could probably slot in there, but he got injured in this game. Yeah, it's... it's. I mean, obviously, it's not great timing, but, you know, they're probably one of the best teams that are are ready to keep rocking and rolling if they lose their starting hooker. Um, and, look, like, we've debated whether you would have Jake Friend return after last year anyway. Like, he looked like he was getting towards the end of his career anyway. So I guess this might just speed up that process. But um, it was really worrying. Like I said, it was one of those ones where he went in to make a tackle and he, he just sort of got bumped and that was it. He, he was done for the day. Yeah, it was largely, yeah. I think from memory, a head clash with one of his teammates. Yeah. He hit him flush on the cheekbone. Yeah, it was just, it's sad when you see that happen to a player that's had so many head knocks and and you know that it's in that realm of like, do you retire? And and I, I think he should. I, I think that it's, it's not worth the risk of playing on. And look, it's the first round. He's not going to be letting anyone down. They'll learn to get on without him. Um, but that was really the only, you know, downside of this whole game for the Roosters. Um, they looked fantastic. They they played a team that wasn't playing great, and they put it on them as you would have want them to do. And yeah, good start to their season. And also worth pointing out that Dylan Walker was horrible. Yeah, um, I'd be surprised if he's named anywhere near a fullback jumper next week, if he's in the seventeen at all. Yeah, and look, the the thing, and it was like no news today, but Phil Rothfield did this whole big thing about breaking news, and it was that the uh, the talks between Manly and Des Hasler to negotiate a contract extension aren't going anywhere. So nothing's happened. But it's, it's one of those things that was just naturally going to happen when you look at the way they've played under Hasler. And it started off pretty well, but since then it's kind of, at best, been forgettable. And when you looked at this game and Manly had nothing, um, I can't see them sticking by Hasler for very long. I don't know who you'd replace him with. The best dude would be Jeff Tuvey, ironically, but yeah, they won't go yeah, there. No, no. But uh, but yeah, this looked like a team that was done in round one it was kind of strange they need quite a rust roster overhaul yeah and that's it and they don't have a huge amount of depth either oddly enough so uh interesting to see what they do there they got a they got a lot of improving to do well you know they've wrapped up i mean cherry evans has got to be on close to a million if not a million and then they've got you know, Tom Trebojevic, who they've put a lot of money into and just doesn't play footy. Like, he's yeah. a part-time footballer at best these days. Yep. You know, his, his brother, brother Jake, they gave a lot of money to, and yep. he's playing okay at best. Dylan Walker's not on... He's on Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's a horrible... And, you know, it doesn't get easy for them because they play South next week. Oh, and... I have a feeling Souths, I mean, they warmed up in the second half of that game. Mm. And 
they're they're going to put a massive score on someone this this year. Like, I think they're going to score mid sixties on someone this year, and it might be Manly next week. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, next game, last game on Saturday, Penrith beat the Cowboys twenty four nil, and uh, I summed this game up at half time. When I said the Cowboys' defense was A plus, mm-hmm. and their defense was whatever's worse than Z minus. <laughs> they actually went around the clock. Um, their attack was so horrible to watch. Yeah. Uh, their defense, though, they just kept turning up in defense. Penrith struggled to try and find a way through them in the first half. They only led 8 0 at half time, and yet Penrith were camped in the Cowboys' half for so long. But Every time the Cowboys got the ball, they just found unique ways to throw it away time and time again, and it was so fucking irritating to watch. Mm. And you throw in the fact that uh, new coach Todd Payton, he's he's decided I... It's an interesting thing, okay? I see where he's coming from, but at the same time, it was a stupid idea. Yeah. And that is, he said, we can't have Jason Tormalolo playing as much minutes as he does on doing all the work he does because everyone else just goes, just let, just let Tomalolo do it. Mm-hmm. And given that he's on a long-term deal and he's still got three years to go on it, I think mm-hmm. he's saying we can't have him doing all of that hard work for so long, every single game, because he'll be completely burnt out. And what are we going to have at the end of his contract? Like a completely busted bloke. We don't want that. We want a bloke who's still as good now as he is in three years' time as well. I went, yeah, that makes sense. On the other hand, he went into the game with two hookers on the bench um, and Tom Malolo played fuck all minutes. And you just look at it and go, you've got to pick your games when you're going to do this. Yeah, and like the the quotes they were saying were that Peyton wanted to get quality rather than quantity. And the thing with Taumalolo is you get both. Yes. That's why he's one of the best ever. You exactly get a dude right. that, okay, he runs for 300 metres, fine. His average is also higher than everyone else per run. That's why he is one of the greatest ever. Yeah. And I can tell you, as a Panthers fan, when Taumalolo was on the sideline stretching for like half an hour, basically sending the, you know, the message to the coach, put me back out there, I was so happy that one of the greatest forwards of all time is watching, just like I am. It was fantastic. Um, it made no sense at all. I don't think he's going to do it again, and I would not be surprised if Tal Malolo says to him after that game, hey, you put me out there to play football, you know? The other thing is, too, they're paying him like a million bucks a year to go out there and bust his ass. It's not like they're trying to save, they're trying to save him so that, you know, they can get a a better deal out of him next time. Like, he's the highest paid player at the club. Let him go out there and play footy. Yeah. And that's what he wants to do. I mean, if you want to save him a little bit, put him, at, put him in the second row so he's just mm-hmm. parked on one side of the field. Mm-hmm. That way you can be out there for the full 80 minutes, do half as much work, but still have the damaging impact he could have on one side. At least have one side of your attack be dangerous. And it makes no sense that you would, like, you've got Jason Tomalolo who's your highest paid player, and you're like, okay, let's save him. Let's not worry about him, but let's leave Cohen Hess out there. Yeah. Like, yeah. what the hell? Well, this is the thing. They were rotating Tormalolo with Josh Maguire. 
Mm. I mean, why would you do that? Like, you've got Cohen Hess on the field. Yeah. And he starts. Well, if you want to try and save Tumalolo, put him in the 12 jumper, put Maguire at lock, put Hess on the bench, if you have to have Hess in the side. Mm-hmm. At least then you're going to be saving Tormalala. He's going to be running down one side of the field. You can create a combination with him with, you know, one of the centers and one of the halves and have him running down one side, much like Penrith are doing with Kikau. Yeah, yeah. You know, that way you're going to save him a bit as well, but you're still going to get huge impact from him when you go to use him. And it will force teams to go, right, we need to, you know, we can't go with a shit defending center up against Tormalolo. So they've got to reshuffle their team to try and counter him. Whereas if he's running through the middle all the time and your concern is he's doing too much of it, teams will just put their two best defensive props on the field to try and counter him. Yeah, it's because easier to do. there was really nothing else this Cowboys team offered in attack at all. No, no. Just nothing. Um, Michael Morgan's done. He should retire. He should retire this week. I'll say this. Uh, he wasn't as bad as that game when he came back last year. You remember true. that one where he's horrid? Um, I'm willing to give him another two weeks to try and find his feet, given he had such a disrupted last few years. But he's a long way from where he should be. I, I just think when you're watching this game, there was a point where like Drinkwater and Clifford were basically running the team around the park, and they played terribly. They played so badly. And I'm thinking to myself, this is where Morgan should be doing something. And he was doing nothing at all. Like, he just was nowhere to be seen. And it was it was really shocking because this is a guy that's played test football and he was nowhere. And these young blokes were throwing it around and knocking on and putting stupid passes around. And Michael Morgan's still nowhere while all this is going on. The other shocking thing was Valentine Holmes is on close to a million bucks a year. And he was MIA as well. And, like, I get it. He's a winger. He's parked out in the wing and his halves are doing absolutely nothing at all. Mm-hmm. But you're watching this from, like, the overall view of this club, and you're like, this dude is taking up a million bucks, and he's a winger. Well, this and is the thing. This is a, it's a horrible situation they've got themselves in. They're spending $2 million on a lock that they don't want to playing. They don't want sitting on the field too long. So you're sitting on the bench and a winger. Mm. And you can't tell me that Valentine Holmes, even when he's not in good form, is a worse fullback than Scott Drinkwater. You know, I've I said last year, like Drinkwater, he was one of their worst players last year, and I know people have raps on him. I don't get why, because every time I see him play, I'm just horrified by the stupid mistakes he makes. Um, you know, Holmes isn't an ideal fullback, but damn, a, a bad Valentine Holmes is better than the best Scott Drinkwater that I've seen for the Cowboys. Yeah. I'd have Holmes at fullback, even if it's just for those kick returns he does, because mm-hmm. at least it gets your attack starting on the right foot because he runs it back so hard every time. And he is a threat with the ball in hand. And mm-hmm. I think we saw it in his last last two seasons at the Sharks when he was starting to be coached to be a bit more of a ball player. Mm-hmm. Sure, he never quite got it, but he started to chime into the back line at just the right times to create the extra man, and he knows how to score tries. And if you just have him doing that basic thing where when they're close to the line, he just comes in as a, as a second 5 eighth. Yeah. 
He's good at a catch and pass close to the line. That's all you need him to do. Um, and the kick returns, he's safe under the high ball. That's all you need him for. The problem is they've got Morgan, who is horribly out of form, and Clifford, who's just he's just not quite good enough to be a first-grade halfback. Mm-hmm. Drinkwater is not an NRL-quality player. So you've got no playmakers, which means you're trying to fit as many playmakers as you can into the side. Yeah. And so you put one of them at fullback, even though he's not supposed to be there. And then you've got two hookers on the bench to try and make sure you've got all these playmakers there to try and create something. And it's just stupid. It really, really is. And, like, they just need somebody in their side, apart from Talmalolo, who you have to worry about in attack. Because right now you don't. Like, that, when they had Tamalolo on the bench, there was no one in that side you had to worry about at all. Mm. And Penrith, like, Penrith's defense is crazy good. Like, Penrith's defense is one of the best defensive sides I've ever seen. Like, remember that Manly Seagulls team in the mid-90s that was yes. ridiculous defensively? They're right there with that team. Um, the way they get numbers into tackles, the way they shut you down, it's incredible. Their attack really worried me and, and really was frustrating in this game for me. Um, I thought Cleary played well. I thought Jerome Luai, once again, was MIA, and that's a real concern. Um, we're not getting enough out of fullback from Dylan Edwards, once again. You know, I, how many games has he got to play before he stops looking like a dude that's an under-21s player physically and starts looking like someone that can bust the line? That worries me. And the other thing I didn't like, and, and look, he might have been injured going into this game when you saw how few minutes he played, but the way they were using kick out, like they keep on passing around him and using him as a decoy and stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the biggest human being on planet Earth, and just give him the friggin' ball. Just I don't care where on the field. Just chuck the ball to him and let him hit someone because... You can't just use him as a decoy all game. This guy puts. This guy must run for like twenty kilometers in a game as a decoy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a problem. Though he he does run really good lines as a decoy, and so it does draw a few defenders. And I think when that happens, um, especially when it's Lua using him as a as a decoy. Mm-hmm. Lloyd looks around and then goes, holy shit, there's gaps everywhere. Don't give it to kick out because all the defenders are on him. And so yep. you pass it out in the back. And I think that's what happens far too often. Yeah. And I've, I'll be honest, I've never been a fan of Luai. I just don't see how he's regarded as a first grade half. Um, well, I can't believe Burton hasn't been in this side ahead of him. I would have thought that if Penrith had a chance, they should have got rid of Luai and kept Burton. I don't see why they did the other way around. To me, that makes no sense. Yeah, I look, I agree with you. And he's he's obviously huge in terms of chemistry for the club. Everyone loves him, and that's cool. Um, but when they committed to him long-term recently, I was a little surprised because, like you, I felt like they needed more at 5'8", and I, I felt like that the future was going to be Burton at 5'8 for Penrith. You know, every time Burton's played for them, he's played pretty well, even when he's been out of position. Well, he looks to be in control of the game as well, and that's what yeah. you want to see from a young half. Mm-hmm. And Luai, well, I just know that when, when Argentine comes around and Cleary's playing, Penrith are going to look 
average in attack because Luai's got to take control of that side. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I can't see that being a good result. I agree. I agree. And I think you saw all of the problems they have in attack in this game in terms of, you know, you know they don't use kick out right. And I think a lot of that does come from, as you say, that, you know, when you've got kick out outside of you and all of a sudden there's holes everywhere. But the thing is, as a 5'8", or just as a general playmaker, the whole idea of having kick outside you shouldn't be about the holes he makes for you. It should be about isolating him one-on-one with the player. Because you can put him into a two-on-one situation, he's going to dominate the the tackle. But you put him one-on-one with someone, it's over. Like, he's breaking the line against the vast majority of defenders in the competition. And I think that that's something they're just not getting with him. And exactly so right. when, when Luai gets the ball and he's got kick outside him, he's got Crichton outside him, and it's just all of the – it's the dream scenario as a, as a playmaker, and they're not getting what they need out of it. And that really worries me because I'm watching Cleary. Cleary looks like he might have gone to a different level once again, which is kind of crazy. He, he's, his kicking game is fantastic. His defense was fantastic. But they need another point of attack. And if they're not getting it out of the Y and they're not getting it because they're, they're using kick out poorly, it's, they're not going to win the premiership. And that should be their goal this year. Exactly. I think that's the other thing too is um, you don't want to go in a situation where you've got a bloke like kick out there who can draw defenders and create gaps everywhere just by being on the field. Mm-hmm. you don't need to try and score off every play you go out there. Sometimes mm-hmm. it makes sense to give the ball to a bloke who you know is just going to get grasped with the tackle because mm-hmm. it's going to make the defense wonder whether you're going to give it to him every time or whether you're going to bypass him every time. And they will accept conceding one try to him if it means they shut down seven or eight try-scoring opportunities because they've decided, you know what, We'll just go one-on-one with kick-out because we know they're going to throw it at the back every time. Exactly. And exactly. So every, and it's, a, it's the same thing that the Sharks had with Paul Gallon. That's mm-hmm. what's going on at the moment here, where instead of Paul Gallon being used as a decoy, he was given the ball every time. So you would always find teams would man up two players on Gallon, and they'd let, allow an overlap outside him because they knew that they were never going to pass it out the back. They'd always give it to Gallon, and then you just shut down Gallon, and you'd be fine. You'd shut down all the attack. And it happened for many, many years with the Sharks. And it wasn't Gallon calling for the ball. If it was, who gives a shit? You don't give it to him every fucking time. Yeah. Penrith are trying to do the opposite. Let's not it's... give kick out the ball all the time. Let's give it to the outside backs. It just means, well, we don't need to put two players on kick out. After a while, the impact of kick out as a decoy runner becomes completely... You know, that has no value because it'll just do one on one. Then you don't have the opportunities out wide either. And then you're shutting down Crichton's attacking ability as well. Yeah. So it's, it has a flow on effect, which is negative in both senses. You need to have them run the ball to the line and into tackles, even if it's not going to be a try scoring play, just as many times you use them a decoy. Because if it's 50 50, the defense will be 50 50 every time. And that's what you want. That's what creates those opportunities. Yeah, and like this is with a guy that is like he's big enough and he's strong enough that if they just had him playing in the middle of the field, he would get 150 plus meters a game just by hitting it up. Like, yeah. 
it's not like you're worrying in that he's not going to make meters if he does get the ball, even if the defense is set on him. Um, so I don't understand why you keep seeing this super giant athlete who can bust the line even if a defense is set. You keep throwing it around him. It's like, just give him the ball. And so we had this weird situation where we had maybe the two most devastating ball-running forwards in the game that we've maybe seen for the last 10 or 20 years watching the game on the sideline and not being used. It was so frustrating to watch. Yeah. But this should have been the big thing in this game is, you know, who's going to destroy the most humans, Tormalolo or Kikau? And all of a sudden, one stays on the field and doesn't touch the ball, the other one sits on the bench and doesn't touch the ball. Yeah. And, it was and, nuts. And so, you know, the Penrith 24-0 looks nice. It's one of those games where you kind of, it's a nice problem to have. Yeah. But I was, they should have won this game by like 50 points because the Cowboys, I think it's fair to say, were the worst team this round that I saw. And, and that's even taken into account the Manly Seagulls. Like, geez, the, the Cowboys of, were bad. Manly were up against a, a Rooster side that were playing great footy and cruising. Mm-hmm. Like Penrith weren't playing great footy. Um, and this is the thing in the first half, Kirk Capewell was so fucking busy. Yep. Um, that guy is an absolute bloody talent. And that's the thing, he was getting tons of ball. Mm-hmm. And you go to the other side of the field, Kikau's getting none. That's. Uh, <laughs> I was yelling at my TV. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> How many times can you dummy to the biggest player on the field? Just give him. Go back to Des Hasler under eights football at the you know the Bulldogs. Give the ball to the biggest dude on the field and let him run the fucking yeah. thing. And try and just trail him. So you yes. got to do. Just all you got to do. It's L- not Luai would be an absolutely brilliant player if he would just give kick out of the ball more often and just trail him. Yeah, all he's got to do. He can make a whole career if he passes kick out the ball 100% of the times that he gets it, you know? It's like if somebody says to – if somebody says like in at the end of this season, every single time Luai gets the ball, 100 times out of 100 after round one, he gave it to kick out, he's going to have an amazing season. Exactly. He's uh, going to have like 10 try assists just doing that. <laughs> If people it's say, not... you, look, he's super predictable. Every time he gets the ball, he just hands it off to Kikau. He's he's going to be one of the informed five eights in the competition. <laughs> he just needs to give him the friggin' ball. Ah, mm. oh, Andrew. Seriously. <laughs> it, it made me so angry. Well, speaking about angry. <laughs> here we are. Canberra versus West Tigers. This game was in the balance at halftime, six all. Mm-hmm. Canberra won thirty to fucking twelve. Yeah, <sighs> they they tried really well in that first half. I was really impressed with them in that first half. Yeah. Tigers' defense in the first half, very impressive. Um, their attack was pretty good. Whenever Moses and By didn't touch the ball, oh, he was horrid. There was a moment in the. I think the first play he fucked up was he threw a pass too far ahead of um, Kapoa, and the young bloke had to kind of half dive forward, lost his balance, and dropped the ball about five metres from the line. Then 
and by went and tried his hand on the other side of the field and just threw a ball straight to row H. Um, and like his outside his, men were looking back at him too. Like what the fuck was that? Some of his kick options atrocious. Some of his run options worse. Um, and what all that does is it just means that Brooks is under the pump then to do all of the playmaking. And as you said before, if you've got a half that's got to do all the playmaking, it's never going to end well. Mm-hmm. To Brooks's credit, um, well, not to his credit, his first two cooks, his first two kicks were dog's breakfast. One was oh. there was one, one was kick a... that was like it, it, like if I gave a football to a man in the street at the fifty meter line and said, "Look, all you got to do is keep it on the grass, but try and kick it over the sideline before you know." Yeah. He couldn't. They wouldn't have kicked it as badly as Brooks did out. No, his first one was was a short kick, which he had a few teammates running through, and he only had one defender to beat, and he kicked it straight to the fucking fullback on the full. Yeah. And then the next one was that long kick downfield, and it it went, um, it went over the sideline by a good ten meters. Mm. But even if it had have gone in the field of play, it would have gone dead in goal as well. It was like so... His radar was so far wrong on that kick. Everything about it was wrong. Everything. Um, but to his credit, he, he sorted out after that. He's, he got his kick and rage back on, you know, back where it's supposed to be. They were all pretty good after that. Did a, a really, really good uh, run where he stepped off his right foot, straightened up the attack, uh, and ran through the ran through the line and then set a good ball to, to Little, who dived over for the Tigers' try in the first half. Mm-hmm. That was a really good, easy play um, just by a halfback running the ball and straightening the attack close to the line. It shows you how good they can be at doing that, even if you're a little guy like Brooks. Yeah. Um, and then the second half, oh, that was just a mess. The second half... You watch the second half for this Tigers team, and like the first half, you're watching it, and you're like, Moses and Bai is a detriment playing. Mm. Like, you would be better off with 12 players, right? And then the second half rolls around, and you start thinking to yourself, got to get rid of Brooks. Like, got to move on from Brooks. Yeah. That's the thing. Brooks is someone who has always needed support at 5'8". Mm-hmm. And when I say support, he basically needs a halfback yeah. next to him. Um, and Moses and Bai is not that. Uh, they'll have Adam Dewey back next week, and I dare say they'll probably put him at 5'8". Dewey's better than Mbai, but he's not good enough to fix, to help Brooks out either. Um, yeah, I don't know what they do in that area. They, they will have some coin available at the end of the year if they want to buy a halfback. I don't know who they buy. They'll be able to afford them, but I don't know who they buy. And then... You know, if that works, because I think they've got Brooks for another two or three years. If they get a, a good quality halfback and they put him alongside <laughs> Brooks, put Brooks at six and put a, a quality half at seven, you probably find Brooks will come come really good then. It's yeah, just crazy it, that you've got to have two halfbacks on the books to make one work better. <laughs> exactly. And then you've got the thing of like, okay, well, say you've got two halfbacks, but... And and it's more about the size of the bloke, and he can't help it. But the fact remains that he's a smaller halfback in a in a game of giants. So it's not like you you can say, well, at least he's a good defensive player at five eighth, and he gives you some playmaking. Like, you know, there's plenty of players that could 
could give you that sort of thing that wouldn't be on as much money, you know. Mm. Um, it, it's it's a terrible situation because, look, Dane Laurie, I've had huge raps on him for a couple of years. He come in and is as good as, as promised. He looked really good there at fullback. Yeah. I think he's a 5'8". I would personally have him at 5'8". But, you know, and well, boy, the, thing about, the thing about Laurie, too, is that, mm. you know, he's always had praise heaped on him for his attack. And that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. But he made so many absolutely perfect defensive decisions at fullback today. Maybe, yeah. like, I always saw him as, as a 5'8", so I thought he's just a genuine 6. Yeah. The fact that he made so many absolutely right defensive decisions and executed them perfectly time and time again as a fullback mm-hmm. maybe wonder if maybe he's just a number one like if that's just his default setting is is a fullback because yeah. it's hard to make those default decisions correctly defensively as a fullback compared to a 5 most of the time a 5-8 it's just you've just got to defend one-on-one yeah. but he had options where you've got to defend, decide whether you're going to try and catch a ball or whether you're going to you know let an opposition player take the ball and then defend them and take them into touch, which he did a few times. Um, very impressed with him defensively more than anything. I, I was, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I, look, I agree. I agree 100%. I just think when you've got somebody that's that gifted in attack um, and, it, like, he's not, he's not built like the top fullbacks. And we talked about this last week where the top fullbacks – they seem to all be pretty big dudes. You know, they've got a big frame on him and he's not the biggest framed person in the world. He's, he's built like a half. And I, I just think that he he's that sort of play that's so gifted in attack. I, I would have him at 5'8", and I would be... Because I feel like it's harder to find a player like him in the halves than it is to find somebody that can be a good fullback. And especially in this team where Moses and Bai, like I... I did a tweet today where I said I can make a I can make a really good case that you could play Luciano Leilua at five eight, and he would give you more than Moses and Bai. And I'm not even saying that you know he would be great as a five eight. I just can make a real good case he's better than Mbai at five eight. And I feel like this team needs that extra playmaker, and, and Laurie's there, and he could do the job. And I can understand if they're saying, look, we're not going to throw me in the deep end this, at this stage. I would get that, and I'd be happy with that. But I, I just feel like he's there. Let's do it. Let's. What are we waiting for? Because I feel like of all of the playmakers they've got in this team and all of the possible halves you could have that are at the club right now that I want to see playing in the halves in three years from now, Dane Laurie's the only one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Um, the other thing, too, is I think the Tigers are pretty keen on getting uh, a young halfback in Jock Madden into the team possibly this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also got a young hooker in, in uh, Jake Simpkin, I think, who, you know, I, I suppose they know that if um, Jacob Little does break down, which thankfully he hasn't yet, and he's starting to... He's starting to warm to his role. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the best of Jacob Little yet. He, he is very good uh, in attack. Um, I think there's still, yeah, you, know, you get sometimes with players who have been a bit injury prone. There's still that hesitation sometimes when they're mm-hmm. p- 
playing, they just go, oh, I don't know if I should just go 100% into that yet because I don't want to injure myself. So they're sort of a little bit in self-defense sort of mode. You know, they're trying to look after themselves a bit and preserve their body. And he's starting to come out of that shell now. Um, he's looking fit. He's looking healthy. So I think we'll probably see him get more and more involved in games, especially in attack in the next few weeks as that confidence starts to build. But they've got two very good uh, young playmakers there waiting in the wings. And I, I do wonder if if maybe Madden will be moved into into the halves at some time this year to see how he goes alongside Brooks. He's pretty good in the trial match they played against Manly. So I'm wondering if maybe that's something that's coming up down the line and whether that's something they might move towards. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't mind their forward pack. I don't mind their rotation. And, look, they've got, you know, they they do have issues in the side. I mean, uh, you know, Luke BJ, Leilua was, BJ Leilua was like the same BJ Leilua we've seen yeah. for years at Rocks and Diamonds. And, you know, you're scratching your head at half of the penalties he gives away. But there is, there is a start here at the West Tigers. But when it comes to their halves and their... You know, half five eighth, even at hooker, there, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment where they've got to make a decision, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if they they did go to these youngsters and said, "Look, we're going to throw you in this week," and Luke Brooks is having a week off, and because you watch that game, I mean, if I'm Jacob, if I'm Jacob Little, I'm going to Luke Brooks, you know this week and saying, if you ever stand in front of me again at the play the ball, I'm not going to throw you the ball for the rest of the game. Because, like, it just stand behind the hooker. It's really fucking easy. They've been doing it since 1895, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think this is the problem Brooks has is that he, he doesn't have much of a voice on the field. And yeah. so he feels the best way to show people he's around is by getting near the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, that's not the way to do it if you're a seven. You need to be talking. Yeah, You need to be directing, pointing, yelling, all that sort of stuff. And you look at him on the field. You don't see him doing any of that. He's just a bloke on the field. Yeah. Um, and that's always been his weakness. Always. Yes. And, and like, I I get why they stuck with him and were like, okay, this young halfback is, you know, let's go with him and see it. And it's just got to the point where it's like, I, I don't think he's the one. And it's really, it sucks because they've invested a lot of time and effort into him. And he's not a bad player. Like, he's no, not a bad player. He's a legit but, six. Is his, That's his thing. He's a legit six. But he just, at some point, I feel like the club, they got to be like, man, we got to move on. Because we can't, like, is he going to be like a 32-year-old, you know, playing at halfback, probably isn't a halfback, needs another halfback next to him sort of dude, or do you just move on? Well, see, this thing, I don't think he's on huge coins. So I'm I'm prepared to stick with him, but only if he is a 5'8", because I think that's where he's fine. If you mm-hmm. had a controlling halfback next to him, he'd be fine. I think if you switched, I think if Penrith went and said, look, we want Luke Brooks, and in return you can have Jerome Malloy, I think Penrith would be upgraded immensely. Um, Brooks I, is better I, than Luai. 
I would say so too, yeah. I would agree with that, yeah. Where I think they'd be worse defensively, but I think that they would get more, way more in attack, actually. What's the... If you put Brooks Park in one wider than what Luai defends, mm-hmm. he'd be next to Kike, he'd be fine. You'd be able to hide him. Yeah. He'd yeah. be between Kike and Croydon. I mean, if they uh-huh. can't look after a, a young halfback. And that's the thing. Brooks is... He's not afraid of contact in defence. He will run up and he, he's good at getting one-on-one with his defender and, and making the right play and making the right defensive decision. He's just small. So he can't stick to a lot of those tackles. That's all his problem is, and that's just something you cannot fix. It It's still shocking to me that the West Tigers weren't the ones that went after Burton at Penrith. Like, Burton is just... <laughs> Have I not taught you anything yet about this club? I know, I know. <laughs> for for I know. years, this club's needed forwards, a massive forward pack with massive depth. And every year it's like, hmm, what centres can we buy? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, and, and... We've, we've bought all our centres, right. Now we need to focus on the key spots, right. We need some wingers. Yeah. Uh, every like... fucking year. <laughs> to be fair, they've got some good wingers. <laughs> yeah, they've got some great wingers. But like... I'm watching this game, and I know you're a fan of the club. And, like, the first half, I'm like, oh, West Tigers, not bad. Ange will be happy with this. The second half, I'm, like, pulling my hair out and hating the world watching them. And, like, oh, I can't imagine how frustrating it is to support this club. I just, it's not within me, even as a Panthers fan. At halftime, I was looking at the scoreline going, okay. They've hung in a bit longer than expected. Mm-hmm. Things are going to turn pear-shaped. And the whole time through every single game, your mind is going, okay, so when are they going to fuck it up? When's, when's the game going to go run away from them? Sometimes it, they stay on they stay on track and they, they keep going and they win the game. More often than not, this happens. Yeah. Conceded 24 points in the second half. Um and it's not even as though Canberra was playing great. Canberra were in second gear the whole game. Yeah. They weren't even trying to, to go nuts on this. Um, it was it was just bad to watch. Can we talk a little bit about how three Canberra players changed the way their name was pronounced? Yeah, it was and, interesting. Charles Nickel Clocks has now got a different pronunciation of his surname. Yeah, I believe it's now Charles. It's Charles Nickel Clock. I was Something along was, those lines. I couldn't. I, I didn't know whether I had to roll my R's on there or not. Um, yeah. I still don't know what you'd call him. Chance Nickel Clogs. Were they saying Stag? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Papali. They've now pronounced his surname so it's exactly the same as the former Warriors and now Eels player Isaiah Papali'i. Yeah. So he's but now pronounced the same be, as that. Shouldn't there be like an apostrophe in there? The two eyes. Yeah. Like that's would be, if it was like that, I think he would have always been called Papa Lee. Yeah. But... And who and was then, the other one? Jo- well, Jordan Rapana, or it used to be Rapana, but now it's Rapana or something like that. Is it Rapana? Rapana, that's it. Oh, uh, right. And, and like, the, all I keep thinking is, what are the, these teams' media managers doing? Like, shouldn't that be one of the first things they ask them when they join a club? It's like, hey... How do you say your name? Yeah. Well, apparently for, was it Nickel Clock? Uh, Josh Papali or Papali'i. 
He didn't know it was pronounced differently. I think it was him. I, I thought that was... It was, was a Nickel Clockstad. Yeah. Right. Nickel Clogstag. Clogstag. <laughs> like, that is. I, I hope we're saying that right. I guess it's one of the, like, what? what is the, um, is it Dutch? Yeah, it's Dutch. Yeah. That's the thing, is that we, as Australians, we read names as the letters appear. Yes. And so it's, you know, we have, we have spent most, we've, we've spent most of our existence, you know, the white European settlers of Australia, um, bastardizing the English language. Yes. That's what we've done. We've changed all the vowel sounds. Um, half the time we removed just a whole, a whole chunk of letters in the middle of words. That's what we do. We just take shortcuts and fuck things up. That's what we've done with the English language. And all of a sudden we've got to be cultured and use the right pronunciation. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> what was that word you used? Col, col what? Cultured? Yeah, like yogurt. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. It's, uh, yeah, like people blame their commentators and, and they'll be like, oh, they've been so ignorant all this time. It's like, no, they didn't know. They're told no. by the media managers how to say these names. Like all of the professional commentators, they will literally say, all right, how do I say his name? It, with all these new players that have, you know, if their name is Smith, they don't do it with him. But they do it with players that have names that are unique. So don't always blame the commentator. No, no, you can't blame the commentator. Blame I mean, the media managers. Andrew Voss is a classic example. He spends a lot of time contacting not just clubs, but the players themselves to try and get the right pronunciation. And if you ever hear a player's name pronounced differently, um, more often than not, the first time you hear it pronounced differently is by uh, Andrew Voss because he goes that extra mile to, to make sure he's getting it correct. But even some of these Raiders players, they weren't too sure what the proper pronunciation was. And half the time they've just said, you know what, we're not worried if you say it differently because there's no real drama for us. Mm. But, yeah, a lot of times the commentators, the genuinely professional commentators, will actually go to the effort of trying to make sure they get the pronunciation correct every time and they won't try and joke about the surname. Because I know that for a lot of, you know, especially for Islanders, the surname is very important and if it gets mispronounced a lot of them can be pretty seriously offended yeah um so you know the very professional commentators understand that and they try their very best and they will they will apologize on air if they pronounce it incorrectly but they will tr- they'll they'll never make a joke about it no and, and like and i feel that's why i feel sorry for them when people they'll they'll and it's understandable why they do. They'll say, oh, these commentators, you know, they haven't been pronouncing his name right for eight years. It's like, yeah, they, they literally were told the wrong way for eight years. And, and then all of a sudden they've been told the right way. And, um, it, it, you know, clubs need to be better at that sort of thing. By the way, I love the name Joe Offengowie. I've always loved his name. (laughs) It's like, there's something about the name Offengowie. It's just fantastic. Why not? Now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's weird, but it's just, it's great. Uh, last game of the round, local derby in the rain, mm. and the Sharks won 32-18 against the Dragons. Such a uh, weird game. It was. Like, the, the Dragons were just the worst team in the NRL in the first half. Mm-hmm. They kept finding unique ways of handing the ball over. Twice they turned the ball over at the play the ball, once because there was no dummy half there. 
and not mm. even close to being a dummy yeah. half there. And another one, I think the the ball was just kicked loose when the dummy half was standing there and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. I just think, the fuck? Um, Sharks led 14-0. Chad Townsend actually played a, a very, very good game here. Yeah. Um, his kicking game was brilliant in this one. Uh, he's like that grubber for the first try. Like he kicked it so it intentionally curled around. And it curled around and beat the, the uh, Dragons fullback, and Josh Dugan fell on it. I mean, that's a pretty good kick to, to pull off in the wet. Yeah. Yeah, he was um, great. It was great to see because, like, last year he was abysmal. Mm. And, like, in this first game, I was like, it's going to be interesting to see because he might find himself in Super League next year. And But the way he played, it's like, if he plays like that for the rest of the year, this Sharks team's going to be really difficult to beat. Yeah. Um, William Kennedy was the other player. I, I had him down as the best player in this game. He was, uh, he, he's starting to get that he's allowed to get involved in the attacking plays. Mm. He's just popping up everywhere and on both sides too. And the Dragons defense looked a bit confused at times. Like, hang on, wasn't he over there before? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. And okay. it, it was really weird because like early, early on in this game, the Sharks were smashing the Dragons. Like, every single tackle, the Dragons were getting pushed back yeah. in the tackle. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be an absolute belt if they keep this up. And then it settled a little bit, but the Sharks were on top. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, like, the Dragons were, were playing well. It was really weird. It was like, hang on a second, the Dragons are playing all right. And then we come to a big decision where the Dragons scored what looks like a try and they've come right back into the game and it's game on. It's like, all right, game on. And as they're lining up the kick, everything stops and it's like, whoa, 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 so stop. We've we've done the forensic examination and we think you're knocked on here. And so we're going to stop all what we've done now and we're going to give the Sharks the ball. And the Sharks immediately scored. So that's a 12-point turnaround. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are we doing here? Because I turned it on to watch a game of football, and I understand everyone makes mistakes, and I can understand. I mean, like, it was a split second. You had to slow it down. The referee didn't quite catch it. Understandable, you know, play on. And all of a sudden, we've decided the momentum of this game, not even at the ground, it's back at, like, the bunker in Sydney, in Redfern. And I don't want footy games to be decided in Redfern, in the bunker. I want the momentum of games to be decided by at least the people on the field, including the referee. You know, if it was the referee himself made that decision, I'm not even talking about it. But it was made in the bunker after it had been put up on the the scoreboard. And it's a whole thing of like, well, it's fish and chip paper now. It's like, well, no, it's not even fish and chip paper. Because unwrap the fish and chips, we're going back, you know? I don't like that. This is a rule that came in for this year, and that was the bunker would reserve the right to review every try if the referee had any questions about it Mm. after it was awarded and before the goal was kicked. And the, the reason for this was so that fans could celebrate the try 
because, you know, someone in the media said, mm, every time there's a trial, we're going to go to the bunker and fans don't get to celebrate whether there's a trial or not. It's this massive, stupid, fucking wankery bullshit argument, which had no merit whatsoever. Yeah. It was completely stupid because every time someone saw the trial thing go up, crowd goes crazy and they get to celebrate a trial, don't they? Yeah. So now we have this stupid decision where referee awards a try, everyone goes crazy and celebrates a try, and then we come back and then we take the try off them. And this is this happened time and time again this week across nearly all the games. So a try was awarded, the score scoreboard changes, includes a try, and then the bunker says, no, nope, there was a knock-on or there was some issue and try gets taken off them and then the score goes backwards. And you go, okay, so you let everyone to celebrate the fact there was a try scored and now... Everyone's got the fucking shits with the refereeing because the referee, the try has been taken off them. Mm-hmm. This has not made the refereeing any easier. It's just added another layer of hatred to the referees and one that sticks out even more because now instead of the referees going, okay, we think a try has been scored, let's take the opportunity to see if it's correct. And then we'll go to the video ref and we have a look and go, okay, it's a try. And everyone goes, hooray, it's a try. And if it's no try, they go, oh, well, you know, we, the mood's already gone anyway. Who gives a shit? And they all move on. Now it's like, it's a try. Hey, no, it's not. Ah, oh, fuck. And you know what? And it spiked the dragons. Like it, it murdered them in an instant. And I understand the whole thing of like, you want to get the decisions right. And I get that. But at what cost? Well, like, you know, you've said yourself, like the one thing they've always been trying to do is speed up the game and mm-hmm. get rid of stoppages. And now we've, Got rid of the stoppage when the game has already stopped, which is the video ref time. They always stop the game there to see if it's a try. Yeah, They've got rid of that stoppage that was already there. And now they've added a stoppage at a time when we never should have one. So we've actually created a stoppage that never needed to exist. All yeah. in order to change the scoreboard and give everyone the shits. How is that improving any aspect of the game? Exactly. And like, y- you know, the, everyone's going to make mistakes, including the officials. The players make more mistakes, a hundred more mistakes than the officials make. Yep. Yep. But when I when I sit down to watch a game of football, I want the people in front of me to decide the game of football, whether they do it by playing brilliantly or they do it by making mistakes. At least I can leave the ground and say, you know what? The, I watched the I watched what happened. And yeah, the players that, decided this. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't like this idea that we're getting to a point where, you know, the game's been played, but then we've got the bunker in Redfern who will decide some things. And then if something else happens on the field that the teams don't like, they'll stop the game again and we'll go back to the bunker and they'll review knock-ons and stuff and we're all standing around. And it's like, I don't turn on the TV or go to the game to sit and watch committee meetings. You know, I go to watch games of football and, I mean, there was a, a decision right at the end of this game. I think there was only seconds left where the Sharks challenged one of the players. And it was a blatant knock-on. They knew it was a knock-on. And it was like they were taking the piss out of the, the captain's yeah. challenge. Wade Graham was laughing as he called it. Yeah. And it's like, what are we doing here? That's, you this know, do this we... happened last year. We knew this was going to happen. Yes. And they would just use it as a time-wasting strategy. And it's exactly what it was. Yep. I, I just don't like it. And having watched a lot of the reserve grade competitions where many of them, they don't have video referees at all. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's sometimes mistakes get missed. You know, sometimes the officials will miss a knock on here or there. It all evens out at the end. But I just think that 
you know, do we want to watch a good flowing game of footy or do we want to be pedantic and nitpick? And yes, I want the, the rules stuck by, but at what cost? You know, we could stop every single play and review every single play. That's cool. But I just, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me for some reason. Well, it's because rugby league has always been a game about momentum. Mm. Building momentum, maintaining momentum. Um, and once you've got it, it's hard to lose it unless someone has a complete stuff up or someone produces a piece of magic on the other side of the field. And now the way that the bunker is used, momentum is so quickly and easily lost for mm-hmm. some teams and gained for other teams. And, and I think that's why it got me because mm. the Dragons were storming back. Yeah. The, the Sharks had stopped playing. I don't know why, but they just stopped playing. The Dragons are coming out of nowhere, and you're like, man, this is crazy. It was going to be a great comeback. They might not have won the game. You don't know. But at the very least, you were like, man, this Dragons team, they're pulling it out all of a sudden. And then it just all flips on its head and the game's over. And it's like it it was decided in Redfern. And that that kills me. Yeah, I, I don't think at any stage the Dragons are going to win this game, but it definitely... It definitely killed the momentum that they'd been building up, and they they built that up themselves through hard work. Mm-hmm. And in an instant, it was taken away. Um, yeah, I hate. I, I don't think there's any rule change they've made this year that's been one I like. Because the other one that shit me off mm-hmm. was, I think, it was in this game. Yeah, William Kennedy's first try. I think it was second try. Mm-hmm. Um, come off the back of a just a beautifully played scrum play. Yes. And that's what scrums are great for in this game is you get half the defenders out of the way and you can have one play where you can do some sort of weird, crazy um, little play. And if it comes off, it looks absolutely fucking divine like this one did for the Sharks. Mm-hmm. And instead, eh, fuck off three quarters of the scrums every week. We don't need them. And yeah, and it's this old hat fucking mentality of, oh, what do we have scrums for? They don't even push in them anymore. And going, no, we don't have scrums because we want a fucking rugby union contest mm-hmm. where we stop and wait three minutes for a scrum to be bloody played out. We have scrums so we get half the players off the field and then you can have one play where you can try some fancy trick shot thing to try and score some points. That's yeah. what it is now. And and whenever you've seen, I mean, the Canberra Raiders used to be so good at it in the mid-90s where they had a scrum and you were like, man, this is going to be good because they, they would set deep and there'd be all these crazy plays that they'd have off of them and they were a danger. Like they could go 80 metres off a scrum play. Yeah. Tim um, Sheens loves scrums. Yeah, and it's like you, you open the field up and I agree with you, like getting rid of the scrums – it's like a wrinkle of the game. And how many of those wrinkles do you take out of a sport before you're not, you, the sport isn't what it is anymore. It's just something completely different. And I know that's how, what rugby league's been about its whole existence. But I think that we still need to hold on to at least some things so that we don't just become a, a game of touch football. I think for me, it's more the case of too many people within the game right now are adamant that the game will never be perfect, mm-hmm. even when it's staring them in the face that it currently, well, that it re- used to be. Mm-hmm. And so they will keep 
changing rules and making tweaks and making changes all the fucking time, and now it's to the detriment of the game. It's not to improve it. As I said, yeah. 2016 to 2018, that was around about the time when the game was being played at its absolute most perfect, even 2019. And, and I always think that you you work out that rules are well balanced when you can see teams having different styles of play and, you know, different different outlooks on what is successful and what isn't. And mm. I think we saw that over that time. I mean, you saw the Bulldogs where they decided that they were going to not have any halves and they were just going to pass it between their forwards. And look, it kind of worked for a little bit. You know, the Storm have always been a, a super clinical team. You know, we saw teams bulk up. We saw teams go with smaller lineups. I think when you've got a rule set that allows those different styles of play, that's when you've got the perfect set of rules. What we have now is you've got to have a a very, very, very mobile team. I mean, you look at Penrith. Penrith, you know, their, their front rowers are now very small compared to most other teams' front rowers, and it's kind of what you've got to do. Um, I... I I just think that we're, we're changing too many rules. I saw a really good tweet today that said, you know, is there anybody in the entire world that can tell you what the rule sets are for junior football, for international football, for Super League, for the NRL? I can put my hand up and say, I couldn't go through all of them and tell you the rule changes between all of them because we changed the rules so many times. I mean, I reckon I'd be flat out to keep up with just the NRL rule changes, let alone all the other competitions. Mm. And what are we changing these rules for? You know, does the game really have to be quicker? Rugby league's not quick enough as it is. That's right. And look, all I know is the NRL's using a completely different rule book to everybody else. Mm -hmm. At the moment, the Super League rule book is probably closer to the better format of the game than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's stupid. And actually, speaking of Andrew Voss, he brought up a point uh, yesterday, I think, and that was in that time when a try has been awarded and the bunker decides to overturn it, sometimes that could be two minutes. The clock still runs during that time now, whereas in the past, as soon as they called for the video ref, the clock stopped. Yeah. So now the time is still running after the, you know, in that period there where they're making the decision and stuff. That time is not added back to the clocks. That's just time immediately lost. How's that fair? The other thing is too, like if you score from in front, like, and you know there was something a bit funny that was going on there and the referee hasn't pulled it up immediately, you rush through, you take the kick. You don't have that same ability to do that as quickly anyway if you're kicking from out wide. And if you're able to do that, you're almost circumventing the whole system that they've put in place. I just, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I, I, I think that there's a beauty in sport that you see human beings making mistakes sometimes. And like as much as you think of, you know, when I think of perfect rugby league, I think of Greg Inglis doing something unbelievable where he gets the ball in goal and he not only shows skill, but he shows speed and he shows power and no one can stop this incredible all-round player. That to me is what I think when I think of perfect rugby league. But rugby league is also the knock-on by the the dummy half 
when he's trying to get off of his own line and everyone's shoulders drops. It, it, like, that's as much rugby league as well. It's the, you know, the fullback that just drops a sitter. And, he, you know, that's rugby league as well. You know, rugby league just isn't about perfection. It's about the mistake as well. And I think that trying to remove that out of the game, I don't know, it takes something away from it. And I might be a, like a complete outlier in that, but that's just how I feel. No, that's fair enough. I I don't argue with any of it, to be honest. It's um, I think the system they had in place with the video ref was fine prior mm-hmm. to the stupid piss farting around they've done in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen two uh, last year and even still this week that we definitely need to still have two referees on the field. Yes. And that's going to be a bugbear of mine until they bring it back. Yeah, some of them play the balls this week were atrocious. <laughs> yeah, and they refs barely got a chance to pull them up. We saw two pulled up in the, um, the Dragon-Sharks game. And that was the only two I saw all week. Yeah, it's, it's just... The game is is so quick. It's like, you know, and the the emphasis on. Remember, they had that that one year where they said, "All right, we're going to make sure you touch the ball with your foot, mm. and you got to be facing north south." And like, we're seeing players facing all sorts of directions when they're yeah. playing the ball, and they're very rarely touching it with their foot anymore because they know they'll get away with it. Mm-hmm. It's just as simple as that. I think that was was it 2018. I think yeah, that, they were close. That was like full game on when that decision happened, um, and I, I just I felt so sorry for the Dragons because the momentum was with them. The shark. I wanted to see the Sharks reply. I wanted to see if they were a good enough team to stop the run because I think on paper they're a better team than the Dragons, and we didn't get to see that. It was, you know, it was decided elsewhere. Yeah, well, I'm saying that the the dragons were largely garbage. Uh, I did ask at one point: was um, Paul McGregor still at the club? Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a Paul McGregor team. The, it it just is at the moment. They've somehow taken a team that looked competitive and strong a year and a half ago, and made it look horrible. Yeah, um, you know what? After you look at what they they did last year, and I mean, it was clear that McGregor had his time was done really early into last season. Um, it, it just looks as though their players are defeated. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's very little cohesion in that side. Mm. Um, so I'll have a quick look at the ladder. Uh, obviously, the top eight are all teams who won. In order, it's uh, Roosters, Penrith, Canberra, Knights, Sharks, Warriors, Parramatta and Melbourne. And bottom half is South, Brisbane, Titans, Dragons, Bulldogs, Tigers, Cowboys, Manly. And, you know, the funny thing about that is that the most impressive team of round one, they're only in eighth place. (laughs) (laughs) It's disappointing for them, but, you know, I'm sure they'll be fine. Yeah, I can't, I can't see them being terribly impacted. Um, so coming up this week, we've got Parramatta versus a Storm on Thursday, Titans, Brisbane, and Warriors Knights on Friday, on Saturday. 
Bulldogs play Penrith. Manly play South. Cowboys play the Dragons. Jeez, we're tuning in for that one. <laughs> and on Sunday, Sharks versus Canberra. And, oh, my fucking God, Tigers play the Roosters. Um, Tigers like, have always had a horrible record against the Roosters. Yeah. And in recent years, they've been diabolical against the Raiders. So I suppose it pays to get the two shittiest games of your season out of the way in the first two rounds. It kind of does, yeah. Like, there's the potential in the the Roosters-West Tigers game, the Panthers-Bulldogs game, uh, and this, I think it's going to be the Seagulls-Bunnies game where we could see, like, a ridiculous scoreline. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Manly and the Tigers are fighting over each other for the, sh- the shittiest record after two games at the bottom of the ladder after this next week. Yeah, I, look, I, after watching the first round of games, I feel like the wooden spoon is 100% going to be between the Cowboys and the Sea Eagles. Yeah. And I think, look, I think the West Tigers can improve. I think the Bulldogs weren't that bad when you, you consider that the Knights are actually a pretty good team. Um, but yeah, that like Cowboys so, and Sea Eagles were just dreadful. I'm happy to throw the Dragons in that wooden spoon mix. Oh, really? Yeah. They've done nothing to impress me so far. I like their comeback. I liked it when it was on. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's fair enough. Not buying it. Not buying it. Imagine if those if, if Dragons, Manly, and the Tigers lose this week. The week after that, you've got the Dragons playing Manly. Who, who would uh, you pick between the Dragons and Manly, though? Manly has them on paper. You reckon? I, I don't know. I think the Dragons have them. No. I've got no faith in the Dragons playmakers at all. At least Manny's got DCE. See, I think Ben Hunt is an all right halfback. Yeah, like, a, he the, might be all right, but DCE shits on him. It, it, DCE is a better halfback, 100%, right? But, and, and the thing I like about Ben Hunt is he always runs. He always, you never have to tell Ben Hunt to attack the line. He attacks the line. Um, I just think that the team around Ben Hunt has more talent than the Seagulls, especially when they're, they're missing, you know, a, a superstar fullback because he slipped in the shower. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's That's a tough one to call. I, uh, you I know think what? Both, I that's think why they play are... the games. Exactly right. We'll find out in two weeks' time. Yeah, it'll be great. We should, <laughs> right. we, should uh, we should bet some Bitcoin on it, Andrew. Oh, there's an idea. <laughs> if anyone's got some Bitcoin, they're, they're willing to throw them away. Like, for free, obviously. I'm not paying for this shit. <laughs> um, yeah, feel free. I'll put some down, and I'll, I'll split the winnings with you 50-50 if I win. I'm trying to get Andrew into Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not going to work, but, you know, it'll be entertaining as you try. <laughs> yeah, I'm having fun doing it, that's for sure. Yeah, I just had to sit back and laugh as you lose all your money. <laughs> I'm not losing money. I'm investing in something that it, it doesn't actually exist, but the returns are huge. Mm, except when it has a healthy, um, in quotation marks, correction. And, yeah, correction. You know, billions of dollars get wiped out of the universe. That that's the thing that like if you're an investor you never want to hear the, the, a correction there. No, and Bitcoin has more corrections than anything else. 
Remember um, Jeff Bezos had a, a slight correct. Was it Jeff Bezos or was it um, Elon Musk? I think it was Elon Musk. Just mm. after he bought Bitcoin recently, it had a uh, slight correction and he lost several billions of dollars. And I went, yeah, I bet he thinks of it as a correction. But you know what? I, I heard, I think it was yesterday, and I can't even remember where I heard it, but it was obviously somewhere really reputable, um, <laughs> that he has made more money off of that investment in Bitcoin that he has from selling Tesla cars since then. Yeah, I mean, not how many one buys a Tesla car? Dude, it's me and Elon. Like, if you're not in with this, I can't help you, okay? I'm trying to make you rich. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Aussie rugby league battler. I'm not like one of those ScoMo people who just picks up rugby league to try and be popular. Andrew, between this <laughs> and if you start selling Amway with me, we're going to be rich. Oh, I'm all on with Amway. That stuff's <laughs> legit good. What was that makeup one they used to have? Wasn't there like a... Was Avon? Avon, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, the sellers are all on a pyramid scheme. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> Gotta love a good Ponzi. I've been wanting to say Ponzi in a rugby league podcast for a long time. What would be a rugby league Ponzi scheme? Oh, something being run by Eric Gross Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Jesus. That's a bit rough. Yeah, harsh but fair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, it's been a good episode. It's it's cool to be able to talk about football, hey? Yes, that's actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Um... So, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, MySpace. Um, so you can get, us, get in touch with us there. We don't use MySpace. We're just going to count there for shits and giggles. We don't know how to use it. No. I don't think anyone does. No. Um, so, yeah, check us out there. Make sure you subscribe to us on, your, uh, on YouTube. We know you do it on your podcast thing, so don't need to do that. Um Make Get sure you t- leave us a review. Yeah, leave us a review on Apple and leave us five stars. Like, And it takes, seriously, if you go and you press the five-star thing on Apple, it takes you five seconds. It just goes bang, it's done. You don't even have to press submit. Um, leave us a review. Make it completely irrelevant, but make it a positive irrelevancy. Yeah. Um, i tell you something. I If you go onto the Facebook page, we're replying to a lot more now than we used to. So if you were on the Facebook page and we seemed ignorant and weren't replying before, we've changed that now. We reply to everything. We like your comments and stuff. Um, so get onto that and, and, and get stuck into it. And, yeah, make sure you're following us on Twitter too. Yeah, that's where all the gear is. Yeah. Um, and if you want to leave us a, a message, send us an email, ask us a question. You can go to our website, Freaky. Yes, go to furgoandthefreak.com, go to the contact section and send us a message through there. We'll be doing, we've got a few emails that we will answer this week. So if you're thinking you'd like to ask us a question, you'd like to make a comment, you'd like to, I don't know, outrage our audience, go there and, and send us something and we'll read it out. Sounds fantastic. And uh, most importantly, go to manscaped.com and buy everything they've got because when you go to the checkout and you type in our code to you, NRL, you'll get 20% off. Yeah, so basically the more you buy with our code, you get 20% off. So, like, 
anything that you don't buy, you're losing money on, basically. So buy everything. And you know what? They might even take Bitcoin there. I bet they do. I bet Manscaped take Bitcoin. I'm sure they do. We'll have to ask them. Yeah. Maybe they can pay us in Bitcoin. Oh, that would be amazing. Can you imagine (laughs) how rich we'd be? (laughs) It'd be all all good until there's a slight correction. Listen, (laughs) shut up about the corrections, all right? (laughs) I'm not in this for the corrections. I'm just in it for the gains. Yeah, the the corrections are in it for your money. (laughs) (laughs) What, What happens if, like... You know, you know the the thing of like all the electronics get switched off. You know, there's some sort of something in the atmosphere, and all the electronics get switched off, and we're back to the Stone Age. And it's like I'm like, trust me, I'm worth money, but it's in Bitcoin. It's like on this fried hard drive, whatever the fuck it's saved on. I don't even know what it's saved on. It's somewhere. <laughs> All I know is I've given my money to someone and I get a number at the end of it. Mm -hmm. It's the future, Andrew. Bitcoin. That's right. And when everything is switched off, I'll still have my one cent coin and you'll be begging me for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's all of the crazy people that are stashing away like blocks of silver. They'll be the real winners in all of this. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm keeping all of my shovels and rakes, so when it comes to barter time, you know, I'm in there. I've got something to trade with. Well, I've still got my coin from the bicentenary, so I'm sweet. Yeah, I threw that one in the bin a long time ago. Oh, jeez. I've told the story about the Don, the Don Bradman coins, haven't I? I think so, yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I lost so much money giving them out for Halloween. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, that's fantastic. Anyways, people, on that great note, um, thanks for tuning in to the Fergo and the Frank Finance podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we might talk about rugby league a bit more next time. What do you reckon? Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, yeah, we'll sign off. Catch us later, people. <laughs>